The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. We'll look at most of the chapter today in a brief time this morning. Um, appreciate Ethan and the guys this morning leading us to sing. Ethan is struggling with a little bit of voice issues, um, a little. Uh, He's, uh, he's drinking some stuff that's supposed to coat his throat, but uh, appreciate him uh, and all that he does to lead us to see the majesty of our God. Well, Genesis 41, the service today, for those of you who are not here regularly, maybe this you think, well, they just sing one song and then they preach. That's kind of short. That's a little odd. Well, we do things on communion Sundays almost in reverse uh, we start the service, most, we, we do a little bit up front, and then we, I, I preach the sermon, but then we respond to the Word of God uh, by taking communion together and by singing. So we're going to sing a lot after the sermon uh, as, we, as we take communion together. But uh, this is sort of uh, upside-down service today uh, as we do communion together. Well, let me ask you this. In the middle of this series, imagine looking at stewardship wouldn't you say, would you, would you agree or disagree that wise people save money? Agree, right? I, mean, I don't think anybody in here would say, no, that's foolish. Who wants to save money? I mean, you know, we just want to spend it all and, and, uh, and wonder where it all went. Uh, uh, no, I think all of us in here know that there's just something right about saving money. Uh, the, the Bible teaches us this. Uh, we looked at last week a passage that, uh, that deals with this. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. In other words, the Bible says here, it's not me, but the Bible says, God says in His Word that the person who simply spends everything he has is foolish. Uh, that it's wise to put some things away. You maybe read some of the testimonies on the screens as you were coming in today or saw them in the hallways on the on the TVs out there, that, and one in particular this past, over the past couple of weeks is very poignant to this. Um, one of our own, uh, Allison, uh, learned some things in Imagine that maybe she wouldn't have, wouldn't have been practicing any other way, but as she was saving, trying to save for an emergency fund, uh, while she was at, at work or at school one day, I don't remember, someone broke into her car and stole all of her textbooks. But because she had been saving, putting that principle into practice, she had that emergency fund to be able to simply replace those textbooks, and she didn't have to go to a credit card or, or take out loan or borrow money from someone else, but she had put into practice what God's Word says to put some things away, and it was there for her in a time of uh, emergency. Well, the title for this sermon this morning is, Sooner or Later, It's Going to Rain. Sooner or later, it's going to rain. If, if the Bible here says in Proverbs 21.20, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a fool devours it all, I wonder by that standard how many of us would look foolish or how many of us would look wise. Uh, if statistics are right, according to the Wall Street Journal, 70% of Americans are spending everything they have, living paycheck to paycheck. In fact, Statistics show us that, that the, the average American is spending 110% of what they make, living paycheck to paycheck. A recent Gallup poll found that 68% of Americans would be unable to cover a $5,000 emergency without having to borrow money. 
Now, let's be honest, and let's just sort of look at this realistically. It doesn't take much of an emergency to get to $5,000, does it? Uh, major car repair could be $5,000. Uh, a leaky roof, if you have to replace a, a roof on your house, uh, easily $5,000. Uh, medical emergency, medical bills, well above $5,000 in a hurry, right? Many of you know this. And, and if this is true, 7 out of 10 people in America couldn't cover this. This is not heaping shame or heaping guilt, but 7 out of 10 couldn't cover that without having to borrow money. Um, Lots of people, 68% of Americans, are living sort of tighter than a, than a banjo string. They're living on a razor's edge, just praying that life doesn't happen to them, right? But we know, and we're going to see today from this, this passage that we're going to look at, that life is going to happen to all of us at some point. Since my goal was not to heap on guilt, but to help you, uh, and since Proverbs 21 verse, verse 20 talks about the two different types of people, the foolish and the wise, since my goal is to help you, I don't want to talk about the foolish behaviors today. Because let's be honest, we all can do foolish pretty well, right? Uh, anybody here done foolish? Yeah, we've all done foolish, right? So I want to today talk about the wise, what are the habits? What are the practices of the wise? And a great example of this is Joseph in Genesis chapter 41. And uh, I want us to look at this with some detail. And we're going to read the, the majority of this passage this morning, verses 15 through the end, verse 57. Uh, but in this, I want you to see that we see Joseph here serving and trusting God faithfully in the middle of life happening to him. If anybody could say life happened to me, Joseph could say that, couldn't he? I mean, he's minding his own business, doing what his father told him to do to go check on the brothers, and they throw him in a pit only to bring him back out and sell him into slavery. And they told his father that a wild animal had killed him, even brought back his coat with some animal blood smeared on it so his father would think, this is true, a wild animal got him. He spent all of these years serving under slavery where he was faithfully trusting the Lord, even when he was in prison, when he was in Potiphar's house, and, and he, was, he was then lied about and thrown into prison. He still serves faithfully trusting God. We see Joseph preparing Egypt for the greatest famine on record. God uses this obscure man who life has happened to him who would say, I have, I have nothing to give to God. I have no resources to offer to God. But yet God, in His sovereignty, in His omnipotence, uses Joseph to prepare and to save an entire nation, even nations around, and then even his own family. We see God using him to care and to save, for his, save his people. So let's look at this today. I want us to see that sooner or later it's going to rain, and how can we be ready when the rain comes. Look at Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said, that, said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile, Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin. 
such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would, would have known what they had eaten, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven, heads, seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Isn't this maybe similar to some dreams you've had? Do all the dreams you have make sense? You've had some weird dreams. I mean, I had a recurring dream when I was in seventh grade about my seventh grade teacher, and he walked outside, and, and, and someone passed out and fell over, and, and he just looked at me and he said, It's a blue egg. <laughs> I spent seventh and eighth grade having that dream over and over again. I can't tell you what it was about, right? This is how dreams are, they don't make sense. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. Now, just a side note going through that. Isn't that true? That we often don't really take note of God's favor and his blessing in the good times. But when those good times come to an end, we quickly forget about those and only notice how we are now suffering. Now, look, verse, um, verse 29. It will come seven years of plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow it, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. When God determines to do something, he's going to do it. Verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the, the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. And this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph, Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out, out over the land of Egypt. Now, many would stop right there and just use that passage to, to preach a prosperity gospel and, and, and turn this in on the person and say, look, if, if you're just faithful, God's going to bless you. He's going to raise you up. He's going to give you all this stuff. And I would tell you that's not the point of this passage. When we take passages of Scripture and we cause them to come crashing in on us, we have missed the point of the passage altogether. The point is to see the glory and the plan and the work of God in the middle of this. Verse 40. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all, all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but in, the, in, in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. That's important. I, I just, I'll come back to this at the end. But that phrase should sound familiar to us. When Jesus performed his very first miracle, turning the water into wine, what was it that Mary said to the servants? Whatever he says to you, do. Joseph here is a picture of Christ for us and how God saved his people through Joseph in the Old Testament biblical times. Later, he would send Jesus who would save his people, all who would ever look to him for salvation and whatever he says to you, do. Verse 56. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Today, I want to spend just a few minutes. I will not be able to go into great detail in this passage. Obviously, this is a lot these are a lot of verses, and typically we look at verses pretty in-depth. But today we won't be able to, so I want to point out to you three takeaways from this passage this morning. The first, of this, the first is this. Saving money is absolutely necessary because sooner or later it's going to rain. Sooner or later something tragic is going to happen. Disaster is coming, and it comes to everyone. No one is ex exempt from this. You may be sitting here today in the middle of some of the best times financially in your life. Or you may be sitting here today and it's the worst of times. And you're scared and you don't know what's on the agenda for this coming week. Sooner or later, an emergency will happen. 
Well, thanks to God, Joseph and Pharaoh, they knew ahead of time what was going to happen. God gives Pharaoh this dream, right? Seven cows eat up these other seven cows, and these seven ears eat up these other seven ears, and Joseph comes along, and God gives him the interpretation, and they know that there's going to be these seven great years of great abundance, followed by seven years of the worst famine and drought on record. I mean, this is the land of the Nile, And the Nile would come to a place where the Nile would not meet the needs of the nation. The the Nile was the great life giver in this region of the world. But it it would fall short during this famine. They knew that this disaster was going to come. The reality is most of us don't know when they're coming, do we? We just don't know. We don't know. We we, we know something's going to happen. We just don't know what, what it will be and when it will be. Money Magazine reports that 78% of us will have a negative financial event happen in in any 10-year given period, which means uh, this 78%, let's just call it 80%, 8 out of 10 people. If you'll look around the room right now, nobody wants to do this when I'm talking to them, but if you'll just kind of look around and look and find, spot 10 different families. If you look and you see these 10 different families, 8 out of those 10 families sometime within a 10-year period are going to have between a $6,000 and a $10,000 event, likely, if statistics are true, happen to them. I mean, it's just just part of how things work. So when you think about it, unexpected events are not really all that unexpected, are they? I mean, life is filled with this kind of thing. There was a commercial um, uh, campaign a little while back where it says life happens, you know, Life comes at you fast. You remember that? Uh, be ready. Well, this is, the, this is the reality. Sooner or later, it's going to rain. When people go through major medical emergencies, uh, they're faced in, in today not only with the, the trauma and the pain of, um, of dealing with whatever they're going through, the sickness, the illness, maybe the loss of a loved one, but now on top of that, it's not only that pain, but now it's also financial burden. It's also a money problem as well. So if we know these things are going to come, if sooner or later it's going to rain, then why don't we have the money set aside to be prepared for these? Well, to take care of these things, because saving money, this is the second thing I want to show you, saving money is a decision. Saving money is a choice. It's, it's an action plan. When Joseph hears the dreams of Pharaoh, he doesn't just interpret the dreams, does he? And he could have just interpreted the dreams and said, here's what it's going to be. I mean, these cows, seven years, seven years, there's going to be great abundance, and then there's going to be famine. And he could have closed his mouth. But instead he goes further, and he offers advice to Pharaoh. Can you imagine this one, Joseph, being snatched from the dungeon shaved and dressed and put before the most powerful man in the world and offering him advice. But this is what he does. He doesn't just interpret the dream. He goes on and he says, here's what you should do. Put someone over this, a wise and a discerning man, set him over the land of Egypt, have him pull back this percentage of each year during the seven years of of great abundance, set it aside for those seven years, when it's going to be drought and famine. Well, Pharaoh likes this idea. When faced with the news that Egypt would have seven years of great abundance followed by seven years of terrible famine, Joseph's first instinct was 
We've got time to get ready. We can get ready. We can save. Joseph didn't just suggest that each farmer of the land should should take back as much as he can and set it aside, but instead he actually puts a number on it. He says to them, put 20%, one-fifth away for seven years. This was Egypt's emergency fund to be used only during the famine and only to supplement what each family was able to produce during those hard years. Joseph further suggested suggested that someone be put in charge of making sure that this thing was carried out. He wanted there to be accountability there. So what Joseph does before Pharaoh is he says, look, you've got to have a plan in place and you've got to have accountability because you can't leave this thing to chance. In the same way, I would tell you today, on a very practical level, that we need to do the same thing. Our personal budgets need to be intentional and well-planned, too. They need to be written down. Um, You need to plan. You won't save money by accident. Anybody save money by accident? I mean, other than when you do the laundry and you reach in the pocket and you find a $5 bill, oh, money, you know? Uh, I'm talking about, you you just don't save money accidentally. If you've got it, most, if you're like most people, unless you're intentional, you'll find something to spend it on, won't you? I mean, it, it just happens. So we should be intentional, just every bit as intentional as Joseph was with Pharaoh. We should write it down. This is very practical today. We should put actual numbers on paper or on a spreadsheet. If you're not a computer person, take out a legal pad and write down all of these, all of these dollars that are going to come into you and all of the dollars that are going to go out and assign them where they're going to go. Tell them where they're going to go before the month begins. Do it every month. Larry Burkett said, a budget is simply telling your money what to do instead of wondering where it went. Ever get to the end of the month and think, what happened? Ever have an argument with your spouse? Where did all the money go? I don't know. Where did it go? You know, this is what happens. And so practically today, I'm telling you, we should write it down. If you don't make tithing and saving priorities, they just won't happen. Something else will always take their place. Something else will always seem more pressing. Dave Ramsey says this, One definition of maturity is learning to delay pleasure. Children do what feels good. Adults devise a plan and they follow it. And Joseph here, he shows us what it is to be very practical. Sometimes, now listen, I'm uncomfortable doing this, but, but, uh, but and maybe you're uncomfortable listening to this. It could be so. But sometimes we want to take these things and we want to spiritualize them. And rather than make a plan about that, we think that takes out the, the, the real serious, real spiritual nature of it. So we'll just put it over there and it'll somehow happen. But the reality is they never happen. God tells us things in his word like discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. James writes, be doers of the word. And that requires for us to do some things. And so here we see in Joseph, in this story, Joseph telling Pharaoh, we've got to be intentional. This means we're going to have to write out some things and stick to some things. Joseph's saving plan teaches us three important things. Number one, Timing matters. The time is now. You may be thinking, well, I I don't know. I don't know where I would save anything from. Well, start. 
Start small. Start wherever you can, but cut out some things to begin this process so that when an emergency comes, you've got some money there to be able to take care of that emergency so that it doesn't become a catastrophe in your home. Secondly, Joseph's saving plan teaches us that decisions made in abundance will feed you in scarcity. They're going to take care of you when it's not going so well. And then thirdly, emergency savings should be kept totally separate. I don't know if you caught that um, as we read through that passage, but in every town, in every city, Joseph goes in and he brings the grain in and he stores it in a separate place. This is not just putting it in with everything else. Joseph's not going in there a couple of times a week you know, to make himself a sandwich. This is set apart. This is distinct. It's different. It's only for emergencies. So we must be intentional. We've got to decide that we're going to save. Third is this. This is the last one that I'll leave you with, and we'll spend just a little bit of time here, um, quite a bit of time, and then we'll transition to communion together. But saving money protects your family and those around you. And this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time, that when we save Disciplined savings, they add up pretty quickly. This is what happened here in verses 47 through 49. It says, During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured." By saving only 20% of the crops during the seven years of plenty, Joseph had more grain than he could actually measure. That's what the Bible says there. But if you pay attention, and if you're a numbers person, you may be thinking, wait a minute, saving 20% a year for seven years gives them all they need for the next seven years completely? The math doesn't add up, does it? I mean, how does that happen? How does that work? It works because God's in the middle of it. We could go around the room and we could talk about stories of how when we were trusting God, when we were giving like He's told us to give, when we were just depending on Him, that sometimes we didn't know how we were going to make ends meet. But there were times when something came in, something unexpected, and God got in the middle of it, and God took care of those needs. This is not about getting rich. I don't want you to hear this. This is not about getting rich or becoming self-absorbed. Anytime you start thinking, you start talking about money, particularly a pastor starts talking about money from the pulpit, lots of people that are sitting in the seats tune him out. They elbow one another and they say, See, I told you we shouldn't have come here. All these pastors are just alike. They just all want money. hear, Hear me on this. We don't want your money. We don't need your money because our God owns everything anyway. And hear me on this. This is not about us building a kingdom to ourselves. This is not about me telling you how you can get rich. If I were to stand here and tell you how you could get rich or stand here and ask you to give so that I could get rich, I would be in direct contradiction to the whole of this council. 
Because the entire story of Scripture is the story of how the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. God is a giving God. He owns it all anyway. And this is not about us building a kingdom or an empire to ourselves. Here's the difference. This is not about getting rich or becoming self-absorbed. But when we simply trust God and obey His instruction for us, we can count on Him to take care of us. See, this is a hard issue. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is a hard issue of us saying, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that He is a good Father? Do I really believe that He does care and He will take care of me? If so, that's going to change some things about the way I live. This is what Jesus was talking about on the Sermon on the Mount when He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now some of you, as I'm reading through that, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, that passage seems to contradict what you're saying. You're saying that we should think about tomorrow and store some things up, but that passage says maybe we shouldn't worry because our our Father's going to take care of us. Well, the reality is that when we obey the Word of God, like Proverbs 21.20, we find that when we practice what God has told us to practice, it is freeing because it's the very means by which He does take care of us. We find that obedience to His commands is the means by which He cares for us. This is the result of persistent saving. You, You just, every day, you just get up and you just trust Him a little more And you just take what you earn and you put a little aside. And before you know it, as you're doing that and you're saying, okay, I'm going to to give back to God in, in, in the tithe and I'm going to set a little bit aside because God's Word tells me this is wise for me to do. As you do this every day, it simply just becomes habit for you. It's this quiet trust all along of you just saying, God, you're on your throne. Nothing's going to come my way that is going to, going to surprise you or to take you off guard. So, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to do what you say is wise to do. I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to save. And you're on your throne. You own it all. You're going to take care of me. And when you do this, when you just make it part of your everyday life, as you seek to follow Christ and live under his rule, it becomes perfectly natural to put a portion of your pay aside. And then what you find is it's there when you need it. Now, we could either step back from that and say, well, that's kind of worldly. Or we could get to that emergency and see that we've followed the wisdom of God all along and then have it when we're in the middle of the emergency. And we can either say, then, look what I have done. Or we can say, look what God did. 
When I followed God, when I followed His wisdom, and when I simply put into practice what He's instructed me to do, look at how He has provided for me in the middle of an emergency. See, that's the difference. It's a heart issue. What was the result of Egypt's enormous wealth? Well, Egypt became a source of hope and help for so many people that were hurting. Verses 55 through 57 describe, I won't read that to you for the sake of time, but it describes how in the middle of these last seven years, when the famine had set in and the Nile was shrinking and shriveling up and people were hungry, they had nothing to eat, that that all of the land of Egypt was in famine and they came to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, we need bread. And he says, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he he tells you to do, do it. Not only the land of Egypt did they find that there was bread in the land, but the Bible says beyond Egypt, all those surrounding nations, that they were impacted by this famine as well, and they came. And now Egypt had become a source of hope and healing and help for them in the middle of this. Not only that, but if you know the story, you know that Joseph is there when his own brothers, the ones that threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery, come and stand before him and beg for food. And Joseph, in the middle of simply being trusting of his God and faithful to serve him, becomes a source of hope and healing for the nation of Egypt, for the surrounding nations, and ultimately for his own family. And you can say, well, they didn't deserve it. He should have just put them out. Told them, you know, no soup for you or no bread for you, right? But instead, he knows enough of the forgiveness and the faithfulness of God that he says, even to them, there's bread here for you. Look what God has provided. Saving money puts us in a position to help others. Saving is not contrary to giving. Again, Larry Burkett says the only difference in saving and hoarding is attitude. When, when we put money aside for the purpose of taking care of our family or to have cash on hand to help others, well, that's saving. But when we put aside money just to be wealthy or to have more than what our neighbors have, that's hoarding. And there's a difference there. God says it's wise to prepare But I think he would look at the attitude of hoarding and say, that's not not wise and it is ungodly. It's putting treasures on earth, not in heaven. There is a practice uh, in the Jewish faith. Uh, Rabbi Daniel Lapine um, explains the the Jewish practice of Havdalah. Um, Havdalah is a service that is celebrated each week Uh, marking the end of the Sabbath. Listen to what Rabbi Daniel Lapine says. The Havdalah service is recited over a cup of wine that runs over into the saucer beneath. The overflowing cup symbolizes the intention to produce during the week ahead, the the week ahead, not only sufficient to fill one's own cup, but also also an excess that will allow overflow for the benefit of others. In other words, he, he says, I am obliged to first fill my cup and then continue pouring as it were so that I will have sufficient to give away to others, thus helping to jumpstart their own efforts. Now, we could 
we could go back and forth about that. This is, a, this is a weekly practice in the Jewish faith, sitting in their home. They would pour this wine at the end of the Sabbath, getting ready for the work week. This is a reminder to them. Maybe this is not such a bad picture for us. That we might take this attitude of we're going to work hard and work well and put money back, not so that we can hoard it to ourselves, but so that we will have enough that spills out and we can be generous people that give to good things, good gospel-worthy things. I mean, how many times have you wanted to help somebody, but you couldn't because you didn't have the money? How many times have you wanted to give to a worthy cause or you wanted to be a tither, but you couldn't because it just wasn't there? Proverbs 13.22 says to us, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and to his children's children. It's unbiblical, I would leave you with, to say that we're going to spend every dime we make. We have a responsibility to to, to our families, to turn back the debt, to be generous to our families, to turn back the tide of this constant debt and constant waste and worldliness and say to our families that we're going, to, we're going to work and we're going to use money not for this world, but we're going to use money for the glory of God and His kingdom. We're going to set it aside and we're going to follow him because he says this is wise. And when he moves on us, when there are opportunities, we're going to give because our God is a giving God. We're going to trust him. We talked about that last week. We're going to trust him with all that we have. So here's what I would say to close today before I transition to these tables. Sooner or later, it's going to rain. I mean, the car is going to break down, right? It's, It's a machine. It's not going to last forever. Some, some of you say, well, it's an investment. <laughs> no, it's not. Buy it and drive it off the lot. It is, it is the worst investment you could ever make, if that's the case. It's going to break down. Sooner or later, you're going to have some emergency. Things are, are, are going to happen. The house is going to need maintenance. People are going to get sick. But those things really aren't unexpected because we know this is the, this is the world we live in. This is the Genesis 3 post-sin, pre-kingdom of God, heaven coming down to new earth world. This is where we live. This is how things happen here. We know something's going to happen. We just don't know what or when. Wise people get ready by saving money. I would tell you this. Don't neglect or Don't let neglect or a short-term mentality rob you of your future. Instead, here's what I would say very practically today as your pastor because I love you. Instead, head off disasters. Make a plan for your money. Protect your family and others around you. But most of all, above all else, honor God with your finances. Now, as we transition to these tables, to the Lord's Supper together, I told you that I would come back to that that phrase there when when Pharaoh says, go to Joseph and whatever he says to you, that you should do. This should point us forward to the New Testament there where Mary says to those servants, look, I know this doesn't make sense, but whatever he says to you, do. And when Jesus takes the, he says, go fill these, these pots with water and he brings them back and there's wine. In the same way, God has made provision. 
In the same way that God used Joseph to prepare, make necessary provisions for the future needs of His people in the same way before eternity. God had planned to send His only Son. God had made provision to send Christ. Christ stepped out of heaven, ripped from His home, voluntarily came, but see the parallels between Joseph and him. He subjected himself to slavery. Joseph was cast into slavery, but Jesus willingly stepped into slavery for us. Jesus served faithfully. Joseph served faithfully. Joseph trusted the Father's plan. Jesus trusted the Father's plan. In the fullness of time, when it was right, Joseph was brought out of prison to interpret a dream and lead a nation and save them. And when the time was right, Jesus went to a cross to save all who would ever look to Him. In the same way that the people of Egypt and the people of the surrounding nations and Joseph's own brothers had to admit that they were bankrupt in their ability to save themselves and had to come before Joseph and get on their knees and say, I can't make bread. I I need some bread. In the same way, the sinner must come before Jesus knowing that all other pursuits are empty and we can't make spiritual bread for ourselves. Therefore, God has provided all we need in Jesus. And we come before Him and we kneel before Him and we say, I need you. I cast myself on you. I trust in you and you alone because I am empty and bankrupt. And that's what these tables are all about today. As believers, we come to these tables and when we take little pieces of bread and little cups of juice, we are remembering what Jesus has done for us. We take these and we say, this is the body of Christ that was broken for me. And we drink the cup and we say, this is His blood that He willingly spilled for me. This is the provision that He has made that I need. Now these are not literally the body and blood of Jesus. Some Faith, believe that. But these are figurative in that they represent this. And so when we come together as a church, we are remembering this and we are proclaiming His death till He comes. So we're going to preach the sermon together together as we close out this service. You're going to come as believers and you're going to stand before this table and, and I want you to, to take it to heart what this means. Let's pray and I'll give you further instructions. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would take this message very practical in a lot of ways and, God, that you would allow it, Lord, to sink in and, God, that it would make a difference in the way people live, that people would trust you, they would follow your wisdom. God, that they would trust you as Father that is good They would do some things and make a plan and all those things. But God, more than anything, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be changed. God, that today, that if there's someone here today that has not come before you yet and admitted their need of you, God, that today they might. 
Lord, for the believers in this room, as we celebrate Lord's Supper together, God, I pray that in this room today that there might be real earnestness before you, that we might actually think about what we're doing, that we might examine our lives and not take this in an unworthy manner, to not treat it just as tried and trample the blood of Christ, but instead today we might really again say, Oh, I need the blood of Christ. Oh, I'm so thankful for His life and His death and His resurrection for me. I have no hope without it. God, I pray that You might do whatever it is that You have planned to do this morning for Your own glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've not been here with us and you don't know how we celebrate Lord's Supper, it's a little different maybe from what you're used to. These tables are at the front. Uh, the deacons will, will be here just to assist. But we ask for you, if you are a, a believing member of this church, to come, to stand, maybe with your family, maybe with a Sunday school group, maybe with some, just somebody, a friend there on your row. And, and you would come and you would take the Lord's Supper together. And that we would preach this sermon, remembering his death, preaching it till he comes. Now, this is not a time for you to simply stand in the aisles as you wait to get to the table and, and catch up on things, to talk about the, the ball games yesterday or, or uh, to talk about the fall festival or anything like that. This is a time of worship. I want you to take this as seriously as you can, to stand before this table, before these elements, and not see them just as perfunctory items, but to, to internalize this. God, thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. I have no hope without it. If you're here today and you can't get to the tables, maybe um, it's just too much to come and stand before the tables, if you just lift your hand where you are, we'll be glad to have one of our deacons come and bring those to you. Um, They're doing that already, taking that to those who are serving back in the nursery. But use this time. Use this time between you and God. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, then I'll be right down here. You don't have to come to me, but if I can help you, I'd love to talk with you. If you want to know what it is to begin to trust Christ and begin to, to follow after Him as your Savior and Lord, I'd love to talk with you. If you're here today and you say, well, this is the church that God, I believe, is leading us to join, and we, we want to come and join the church today, I'd be glad to receive you today. If there's something else that you just want to pray about, these, these steps... Could, could make a good kneeling place to pray. So could your chair. You could stay right where you are. Maybe there's another brother or sister in the room that you just want to go and pray with. Whatever God leads you to do, we want this to be a very active time between us and God. Pushing one another on toward Christ and communing with Him. See, outside of this, there is no communion with God. Outside of the cross, there is no communion with God. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. But Jesus came to bring them back. So this is our only hope. So as we worship our God today, you move as he leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.